Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Maybe experienced this, maybe you didn't, but uh, they, they would teach us music, which I think is valuable. They would teach us about the notes, right? This is a whole note, and this is a quarter note, and this is an eighth note. And then there were also, uh, in the music, if you remember learning this, there were rests. So you learn about the rest. This is a quarter rest and a whole rest. And in fact, in the back, you can see a lot of these things up here. And I was looking at this earlier. We actually have a rest up here. Most of these are notes, but this little guy over here next to me uh, that looks like a top hat, uh, that's a whole rest. And I know that he looks like a top hat because in elementary school we were taught that that rest gets four beats, not two, because he tips his hat to the ladies. Uh, it was a top hat like that. See, so he's tipping it to the ladies. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like uh, things you remember from elementary school, right? So th- there's rests built in. And, and the rests are really important mu- in music. Music without rests, if, if, if it's just all notes all the time, that's just noise, like, the thing that distinguishes music and makes, it, and makes it separate from just noise is that there are notes and then there are rests. There are moments of play the thing and then there's moments of back off and don't play the thing. You see that all over. You see that when the band up here plays. Not everybody is playing all the time. It's built in that there's rests built into the music and that's, uh, that's an important thing. Uh, it's, an, it's very intentional and some of the best things about music really are having some rests in there where you build up anticipation and then something new comes in. That's one of the things we love about music. And, and I was thinking about that, that rests are important and, and an important piece of music. And that is also true of life, right? There is a, there's an ebb and there's a flow to life. There, there's, a, there's a peak and then there's a valley. There's a work hard and then there's a step back and, and take Arrest. There is a, a rhythm of life of engagement and then disengagement. And so today I want to talk about the rest side of that. I want to talk about the disengagement piece of, of our life. And, and, and I want to tie this into this series where we started last week. We're doing this series called Rhythms. And, and last week where we started was the concept of identity. I think there is no bigger issue in American culture today than identity. It is the, the hotness that, and it is the thing that is underneath so much of our, our fights, our struggles, um, our, our, our issues in culture. We, 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 we fight over this concept of identity. And last week, we, a way to, to say that very cleanly, last week we said, look, you are not who you say you are. You are not who they say you are. You are who God says you are. And I think that's a a clean way of thinking about it, and it's an important thing for us to remember. But here's the challenge. Remembering who God says you are in the midst of a culture that is extremely noisy and is screaming at you at all times other things, um, that can be really challenging. The culture screams at you through the phone, through advertising, through your laptop, through the television, through other people. And how are we going to be able to hear God's, God's melody? How do we hear God's music? How do we hear our true identity in the midst of all of that noise? How do we dial into that? Well, there's these this concept of a discipline of disengagement or a discipline of abstinence. This has been 
uh, something that Christians have used and Jews and Muslims and different religious groups for millennia have used the idea of I am going to disengage from something in order to become something else. I'm going to pull away. I'm going to back off. I'm going to take a rest from activity, from noise, from whatever, from eating, from whatever. I I will back off of these things. And in doing so, I'm going to be filled up in a different way. I'm going to re-engage the center. I'm going to re-engage God, and I'm going to come back even stronger. So I want to talk about how we can disengage and pull back on some of the things that are, uh, some of the noise that's in our lives. Now, this isn't going to end with me suggesting that you go live in a monastery. That's really impractical for a whole, you know, most of us. Um, But what I would suggest is that there's wisdom in a monastery, and there's wisdom in in the historic practices of, let me disengage a a little bit and, and pull back. Um, there's something powerful that can happen there and it can be very healthy. Now, the pattern of engagement and disengagement is first seen in the scriptures in Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 1, it tells the story of God creating the universe. There's, and there's a pattern there. There's an evening and there's morning the first day. There's evening and morning second day. It, it repeats that pattern in a, in a poetic form. And it describes God's creation of the universe. He, you know, the mountains and the water and the land and the stars and the moon and the plants and the, 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 anim, the fish and the birds and the animals and then mankind on day six. And at the end of that, we read it last week where God creates man. We, we learn a little bit about our identity, what God designed us to do, what, what we're here for, how he'd made us and what we're here for. And then that leads us right into chapter two, uh, going off of the verses I read you last week, going right into that now. Chapter two, verse one, listen to what Genesis 2, one says. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So you see this rhythm of work for six days, and then he's taking a day off. Now, this isn't because God needed a day off. Okay? It's not like creation was so exhausting and God's like, man, I am whipped from this week. Like I did so, there was nothing here um, like six days ago. Look what I have done. I've made it all. I am so worn out now that I'm going to take a rest. It's not, it's not that. What it is, is God saying, there's going to be a pattern here for humanity. There's a pattern of engage and then disengage. Work and then rest. Go hard and then back off. There's a pattern here, and God is trying to set that pattern for us and show us that there's a period that we need in our lives where we rest and relax and and refresh. Um, This is the pattern of engagement and disengagement. This is the way. Now, um, that pattern shows up throughout the Scripture. It actually, uh, in the Ten Commandments, um, you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments that, sh- that God later gives to the Israelites. Um, in the commandments that you've heard of, thou shall not kill and thou shall not steal and all that, the fourth commandment is the commandment to take a Sabbath. It's basically God saying, I want you to take a day off every week. Um, to, start, to start off the week, I want you to just relax and refresh and unplug. And what's interesting about the commandments, if you read them, is that the fourth commandment has more words in it than any of the other commandments by far. The fourth commandment says, take a day off, and then it says, I, I want you to take a day off, your, any of your servants, all your people, uh, don't, don't do any work on this day. Like It, it goes into it a, a little more in detail, whereas other commandments are like, don't kill anybody. Done. And I wondered about that because... 
There's a lot of ink spilled on a commandment to take some time off and to disengage, but not much ink spilled on a commandment to murder someone. And I think that's because murdering is pretty cut and dry, right? The commandment's pretty self-explanatory. Do not murder someone. You don't know if you accidentally did it, right? There's not like a, oh, maybe I murdered today. Like, probably not, right? You're, you're pretty clear when, and, and you can't kind of murder someone. Maybe you can. I don't know. Depends on coffee. But like, okay. So, so then Sabbath comes along and God says, disengage. And here's the problem. We can kind of do it, right? And so he had to get very specific. No, not like this, not like this. Make sure you do this, not this. And, and the Jews got super specific on how to keep a Sabbath because the human heart says, eh, I don't know if I really need that. I don't know if I need to take the time off. I'm going to work really hard. I'm just going to keep after it. I'm going to keep going. And our physical and our mental and our emotional and our spiritual health suffers when we don't disengage. And what's worse than that is we suffer for it, our lack of disengagement, we suffer while we simultaneously praise it as a virtue. We go, man, I haven't taken a day off in weeks. I'm working so hard because you got to grind, baby. Like it, it, it don't stop. I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling is what we say. And we think it is virtuous to not disengage. And God knew this about us. God knew we would try it. Hey, God says, take a day off. And we're like, hey, um, the whole day? Like 24 hours? Wait, what counts? Can I check my email? Can I hire somebody to work for me on that day so we're still producing? Like, we don't do it well. And we, and we suffer. We suffer for it, Right? So let me give you some ways to disengage that Jesus is going to point us to in the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount in, a, in a moment. These are, these are disciplines and rhythms of the spiritual life. But before I give you the, what those are and a little bit of how to do them, I want to give you a little bit about why we need to regularly disengage to make sure we, we understand that. Um, have you noticed that good information is hard to come by in today's culture? We are flooded with information. There's lots you can look up and read about now about anything but it's really hard to know what is good information, what is just noise. What, what can you trust and what you shouldn't trust. Like pick any topic in the world right now. I hear COVID's a big one right now. So any, anything you want, you could send me articles about this and what we need to do and mitigation efforts and why this needs to work and how this works and, and I'm like, oh, man, that sounds good. And then I'll go find like 20 articles that are going to say the opposite thing and it's just so much noise and it, and it becomes very hard to sort through that sort of mentally and go, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Pick, pick an issue that, you know, in, in, in culture, we, we talked a lot over this last year about racism and systemic racism, and there's, there's conversations to have there about, you know, if you want to go through the history and look at, like, what, what redlining was in America and Jim Crow laws and all of these things and, and, and more modern-day expressions with, um, you know, what, what the war on drugs has done and, and Black Lives Matter and, and, and all of the and critical race theory and all of these conversations. And here's the problem. There are good conversations to have there. There are injustices that need to be addressed. There are things to talk talk about. There's some knowledge that we need to get. And also baked into some of those conversations is a lot of noise that's not helpful. And it's hard to distinguish what is what. What is a good conversation to have and this moves things forward? And what is just noise and it isn't productive? And how do you sort through all that? And the problem is, and you felt this, I felt this, I, I think we've all felt it at some point, in all of the noise, really our, our response to it, even if you have a good point or you're saying a good thing or it's helpful, our response is, I'm just so tired of all the noise. We all, we all are like a, a mom of a toddler. 
like with culture. We're just like, can you stop making all the noise all the time? This is why we pull the batteries on all of our children's toys. Like, ah, oh, it doesn't work anymore, sorry. You know, because we're tired of the noise. So how do we, how do we sort how do we sort through all that? Well, we have a hard time sorting through it because we don't leave ourselves any margin. We don't leave space. We don't Sabbath. We don't disengage. We don't intentionally, regularly, strategically disengage. Um, I mean, if you, if you make a compelling argue, argument to me about something related to COVID, here's, here's the reality. If I'm going to agree with your compelling argument, here's what I need to do. I need to go off by myself and think about it. That's it. That's what I need to do. I need to go and think. I need to sit and have a thinks for, for, for a period of time and work through it. And then, after I've done that, I might change my mind. I might see your perspective. What I probably won't do is agree with you in the moment. Have you ever seen anyone agree in the moment or change their mind on social media? Have you? No, you haven't. And if you have, it's a unicorn you saw. Like, it's, it's an incredibly rare thing because the way we process is we go get alone and sit and think, and then we, and then we come back and, and, and change and grow. We need that time to process and reflect, and we don't have it anymore. We used to think in the shower. Now we play music in the shower. We used to think when we went for a run. Now we listen to podcasts when we run. We used to think on the toilet. Now we play Candy Crush on the toilet. We used to think when the kids go to bed at night. Now we just binge watch a show. We used to think when we get up in the morning when it's quiet and no one's up yet. And now we check our texts and our emails. We have no space. We used to think when we're standing in the line at the grocery store and now we check our Instagram feed. We have filled up all the margins. We have written out on the edge of our paper all the way to the edge and there's no, there's no space around it. And, and our our emotional and spiritual and, and physical health is, is suffering. And this is true of um, parents with little children. They give you no space. But I, my children are older, and the fact is, if I want space, I still have to go take it. And I would think that if you're single and you live alone, you're like, I have all the space I need. But I, bet, I, I would imagine it's still difficult for you to really carve out the time to get quiet because we, we just fill ourselves up with so much distraction. And it's, and it's, and it's actually a huge problem. Blaise Pascal, writing in the 1600s, said this, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And he wrote that before the smartphone, way before, right? All of our problems stem because we can't be alone with our thoughts. We're terrified of it. If I said, let's have a quiet moment now in church, in church, and I said, you know what, let's just sit and be quiet and pray for two minutes. Oh my goodness, that would be the longest two minutes of your life, right? We'd be like, oh, is somebody going to make something happen soon, right? You get twitchy with silence. That's what happens to us. We're so used to going. And if we're going to grow in our faith, if we're going to follow Jesus and be a disciple of him, we're going to have to figure out how to unplug a bit for our own health and spiritual growth and, and development. And, and not just unplug to get away from all the noise, but it's actually for the good of others. We unplug so that we can re-engage others in a healthy, smart, and spiritual way. So Jesus talks about this in his Sermon on the Mount. 
He, he starts a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and he goes through some like, hey, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And he goes through things like lust and anger and, and all of this. And then he goes to these spiritual disciplines, of it, primarily of, it, of, of like disengagement. And I want to read to you what he says in Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Listen to the way he talks about it. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, understand when Jesus teaches this initially, he's talking to a very religious crowd, observant first century Jews. These people did all the religious things. They prayed, they fasted, they gave money, they served other people, they kept the laws, they, 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 Sabbath, they took the Sabbath and they, they Sabbath so hard, like they, they're into all of the things and they're doing it well and really into it. And Jesus comes along and says, not that they shouldn't do those things. He says, no, in a sense, he's saying it's good that you do that stuff. But here's the deal. Don't do the religious things of your life. Don't engage those things in a way so that you are seen by other people. Don't make a show. He gives the example of giving, financially giving. It is good that you give to God. It is good that you give at the synagogue in their, in their context. It's good that you give money to help other people. That is a great thing. But don't do it in such a way that you're like splashing the pot and letting everybody see what you're doing and making a big show out of it. Because if what you want is to be seen, then that is your reward. God will let you be seen by other people and they'll think you're awesome and that's it. God, God ain't about it though. What we need to do, what Jesus calls to do, is to do these things uh, quietly in in. in in secrecy. He, he's challenging their tendency to virtue signal. Now, virtue signaling was a, a big thing back then in those ways. Virtue signaling is also a big thing in our culture. It just looks a little different. We have uh, a very easy platform in social media where we can let other people know how good we are, um, but in a subtle way, right? Like in a, in a humble brag. We can kind of be like, so I did this, and isn't this great? Like, and the, the temptation is there to virtue signal, to let you know how good I am, so that I will get likes and hearts and, and, and little checks and, and little things from acquaintances, strangers, or friends. And that junk is going to feel so good. I let you know my virtue you, thumb, you gave me a thumbs up on that, and, it, and it's a dopamine hit. It, it feels good in my brain. Oh, man, they love me out there because I, I do this thing. I've let them know. And that is exactly the thing that Jesus is challenging us to disengage from. Uh, he's saying if you really want to be virtuous, don't make a scene. Um, you can actually be virtuous and you don't have to tell everybody. In fact, that's a, 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 better, a better way for us to be. It's so different. The example he gives there is giving money. Um, In their culture, they would sort of make a scene of them giving. Um, And it looks a little different in our culture, but there's still still a temptation there. If you give, we will give you a plaque. If if you give to to the theater, we will name a seat after you and put your name on it. If you give to the school, we will name a building after you. You know, there's all that like legacy kind of stuff of like, if I give, I will be a big deal. This is how people will know I was important and that I was here on earth. 
And the temptation is to believe that that kind of thing will build up our virtue and our character and it will make us awesome and, and it will make us revered and respected. But it's not true. I actually, um, I think we should stop chasing that kind of thing. I read this quote the other day. I don't even know who it comes from, but it says this, a man can live a good life, be honorable, bless, give to charity, but in the end, the number of people who come to the funeral is generally dependent on the weather. Sobering, isn't it? So practice the discipline of disengagement. When you give, give quietly. That's why it's it's good here we can give online. You don't don't necessarily have to make a scene. You can give quietly. Uh, Lay down our addiction to other people's thumbs up, to other people's approval. We can so easily get sucked into that. But if we regularly disengage and and, and, um, give in a way that's quiet, it's better. Take a rest from being known. Um, Take a rest from trying to become a big deal. it's, it's, It's so pervasive in our culture. I, I volunteered for the past couple of years at Cary Elementary, and uh, I would tutor math. And so I would, these kids, I would sit down, and we'd work on their times tables and things like that. And, uh, you know, you always want to break the ice with kids. And so, you know, tell me about your family, and what are you, what are you into, and all. And man, do you know what the number one answer I would hear from kids when I would ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Which is perfect, like, elementary school question, right? Like, that's the thing. And when we were kids, it was like astronaut and whatever. When I asked kids, what do you want to be when they grow up? The top answer I got was YouTube star. Instagram influencer. Yikes. <laughs> like, I think they'll grow out of that. I, I hope that's the case. Because I'm like, I guess you don't need your times tables. What are we doing here? Don't worry about that. <laughs> you don't need the stuff. Like, but it's weird to me. Um, and that could just be a function of childhood and we'll move through that. But there's something in the air we breathe here that says, be known, make a big deal, have other people think you're awesome, signal your virtue. And we have to practice a discipline of disengaging from, from that. So Jesus gives us two practices here that come next that are uh, disciplines of disengagement. Number, uh, verse 5, chapter 6, he says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, he's telling a culture that prays a lot. Hey, when you, when you do this, here's how I want you to do it. But I would still argue that our culture prays as well. Almost everybody claims to pray at some point, whether it's before a meal or before a test or when she breaks up with you or something, like in a foxhole. Like, there are reasons that we come up with in culture where we will turn something towards God and pray. Um, so most people pray, but I've just never met anyone in the modern world who says they're really good at it. It's a struggle for everyone. Look, it, it's a struggle for me, and I, I've had classes on it, on prayer, and I've read books. To get ready for this sermon, I read a book called Prayer and Fasting. It's gripping. It was, it was wonderful, <laughs> right? It's literally, that's literally the title. I'm like, you guys couldn't come up with anything more engaging than this, prayer and fasting. Okay, well, I guess that's, so, like, I've read stuff on it, and, and taken classes on it, and Read, you know, taught about it and thought about it and all that. Um, and it's, it's a struggle for, for everyone. 
Um, it's one of those things when I say pray, we go, yeah, I probably should do that. And I probably don't do it enough. It's like when your dentist tells you to floss. You're like, oh, yeah, that's probably right. Probably should do that. So, when G- so Jesus says, when you pray, here's what you do. Get quiet. And he modeled that for us. He, if you read his ministry in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at what he did, he would get away from the crowds. He'd get up early, or he'd get out on a boat, or he'd get away from lots of people so that he could be quiet and be with his heavenly Father. And that is the way when you pray and get away like that, that is how you keep your identity intact. Think about the pressure that Jesus was under. He was basically a rock star rabbi of the ancient world and people wanted to be near him and hear from him and hear his teaching and receive a healing and crowds were rolling up on him at all times. And so for him to keep his identity intact and to not let that destroy him, right, he regularly gets away and prays and and talks to God. That disengagement helps him fortify his soul and helps him to, to stay strong and resilient with all the pressure that's around him. And if Jesus, who, by the way, is God, if he needs to do that, how much more do we need to do that? None of us would survive the kind of pressure that Jesus was under, the kind of fame, the kind of everybody wants to be near him. Like, we would not do well. And you see this all the time. This is why, like, child celebrities, that doesn't go well when they get older, typically, right? Because it's an incredible amount of, of pressure. And you, and, and you see it not ending well, even for Christians today. I, to see uh, Christian celebrities in the Western world right now, that's a thing, that there are Christians who are famous enough to be sort of Christian celebrities. A lot of times that doesn't end well even with ones that you look up to and go, wow, they're, they're so great. Like, that doesn't end well because they, they had a very uh, huge public impact, but they did not have their private life in order, and they did not have that quiet space with God ordered well. Um, and so how do we avoid this? We, we, pray, we pray to God regularly and quietly. We don't pray to be seen. So to do that, you can't just say, well, okay, Chris, I'm just going to pray, but I'm going to pray quietly, and that'll be it. It's like, cool, that's a good idea, but you actually have to do it. You have to set up time in your schedule to say, this is when I will pray. This is when I'm going to meet with God and, and speak to him and have him speak t- to me. Um, you can't say you're going to do it and then not do it. Um, it's, it kind of reminds me of the people who, um, who will say, like, I can worship God. I don't need to go to church to worship God. I, I, I worship God on the golf course. Look, I've played a lot of golf. I used to want to be a professional when I was a kid, so I played all the time. There were some decade, probably decades ago that I played a lot of golf. Ain't nobody worshiping God out there. I've heard God's name. I've heard Jesus mentioned a few times. I don't think that was the context. I don't think it was worshipful. I'm just saying Right? But that's the kind of stuff, oh, no, I'm just going to pray quietly. It's a very personal, private thing for me. Cool. That's great. But is it? Here's the, here's the uncomfortable question. How is your prayer life going? Are you actually praying? Or are you just, like, really into the idea of praying? When do you set aside time for that? Where, where in your day does, do you disengage from the noise and talk to God. Maybe when you first wake up in the morning, maybe at lunchtime, maybe in the shower, maybe on your way to work. Do you get quiet? Do you open a Bible? Do you read a psalm maybe? Do you ask God to speak to you? Where does that fit in the rhythm 
of your life. It can't just be something that's done corporately. It is, it's good that it's corporate in, in, with, with others. Yes, that's good. But it can't just be something that's corporate um, and, and public in church or in a small group or something like that. Um, where do you go personally to, to do this, to, to pray and to disengage from the noise? I, I didn't think about prayer much about as disengagement until I, until I started digging into this. Um, but I think there's something to that. You know, you and I can obsess about so many things. We can, we can worry and obsess about politics and, and COVID and, 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 and all of the, the things and family relationships and work and paying the rent and, and all the things that we worry about. And what we tend to do is we talk in our minds. We get very active in our minds about this. We worry. We get anxious. We go, oh, what if this happens? I can't believe this. And, and our head goes kind of crazy with this stuff. And sometimes we will worry to other people, which sounds like complaining, oh, can you believe, and would you just, and so we kind of process it out loud with someone, and that's good too, but where we can go and what prayer is, is taking those things we worry and are anxious about and then talking about them, not with another person, but with God, and saying, "Um, this is a mess, I don't know what to do with it, you're bigger than this, I'm going to hand this to you and you handle it. That, that's productive, Sometimes just turning it over in your head isn't that productive. Being anxious and worry all the time, that's not productive. But turning it to God is productive. And, and in doing that, it helps us to disengage from all of the noise uh, around us. And that can be a, a powerful thing. So prayer is, in a sense, getting quiet for a change before God. Now, that, that may sound silly to you, all of this. Praying may sound like voodoo. It may sound like, that's, that's not going to really work. Some of, some of us are very high achievers, and, it, and prayer feels like very non-productive time. Like, I'm, what am I accomplishing? Um, I get that. But, but my experience has been, and, and many of you have had this experience, something happens when we pray. Something good happens there. Um, the brain gets calm. It, it changes our mindset, and it helps us focus on the bigger picture. So this week, try it. Set aside time to pray. Maybe open the Bible to the Psalms and read one and use that as a guide for prayer. Maybe I've heard people like uh, put an empty chair next to them and it, like imagine God sitting there and you, and you talk that way. Maybe pray out loud. Maybe try writing your prayers. It gets, we get uh, clearer sometimes when we write. Um, but, but try it this week um, and see what happens. The Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said this, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. I think there's something to that. So one discipline of disengagement is prayer, and then the last one I give you is in Matthew 6, verse 16. Look at what he says. We'll put it up on the screen. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Are you seeing a theme here? People are doing things to be seen. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Um, fasting is when you intentionally stop eating, first and foremost. A, a, sort of a traditional fast, and this is the kind he's talking about. You intentionally stop eating. This is not starvation. Starvation is when you, you unintentionally stop eating. Like, I, I can't get food. That's starvation, right? Fasting is, I'm going to not eat. I choose to disengage from the constant consumption of food for a deeper purpose. There's a lot of benefits to fasting. 
Okay, let me just give you some of the spiritual benefits, the reason why we would go down this road. Spiritual benefits of fasting. From the book called Prayer and Fasting, I pulled, it's brilliant, gripping. Uh, I pulled um, 11 reasons they, get, they pull out of the scriptures. In the Bible, here's why people fasted, okay? Some of these you may relate to, some of them you may not. It's okay. Here's, here's 11 reasons why people fasted in the scriptures. To fortify our prayers, to repent from sin, to spiritually prepare for ministry, to receive power for ministry, to discover the Lord's will, to mourn those lost in death, to seek protection from approaching danger, to accompany grief and personal or corporate loss, to offer worship and praise, to avert God's wrath, to set aside people for ministry leadership. Those are 11 reasons why people fasted in Scripture. Now, I know not all of those reasons are going to click for you. Some of those feel very foreign to your current reality. I get that. But it's worth figuring out why people did it, and, and is there anything there for you? Is there something you're seeking God about that you want to know what God's will is? And it's an intense thing. Maybe this would be a time to fast and, and to have that dedicated time set aside to figure out what the Lord's will is. Is there something that will teach you, or do you feel like you need God's power in your life? Maybe fasting would be the thing. And even those things that sound very foreign to you, like fasting to avert God's wrath, like probably no one's signing up for that this week, right? But it's worth figuring out when you come across things like that in the scripture that sound so foreign to us to go, what am I not seeing here? It sounds so foreign to me because I see the world this way and it doesn't fit there. Fasting to avert God's wrath is over here. What is that and what is going on, right? To dig in. So there are spiritual reasons to fast that can be very good. And in my experience of fasting, and I would say I've dabbled in it off and on in my life over the last eight months or so, I've probably picked it up more than I ever have. Um, and in my experience of it, there's a lot of benefits to fasting. You, maybe you get into it for a spiritual reason, but there's all these side benefits. For example, when you fast, you save money. Less groceries when you're not eating. Less eating out. You'll find yourself with more money. That's kind of cool. In fact, the early Christians in Rome would fast, skip a meal, take the money they would have spent on the meal, and give it to someone in need who's hungry. That's pretty cool. So it was intentional. It was like fasting for the good of others. It's a great benefit. Fasting is also a time saver. Do you know how much time you spend mentally and physically preparing meals? So my experience has been when I'm fasting, like my mornings, I, just, I guess I'll just go to work or do that praying thing I think I'm supposed to be doing in the morning or read the Bible or something or like, you know, do a quick workout or whatever when I'm not like sitting there by the stove cooking something. Like it's, it's actually a, a time saver there. Um, fasting does something physical to the body, and let me just preface this right up front and say I am not a doctor, okay? Um, but I've done a lot of reading on this and, and, and dialed into it, like, okay, what physically happens when you fast? Uh, and, and here's it in the quickest nutshell possible, and if you want, you can email me and I'll send you articles on this and, you, and things to watch on YouTube, and you can kind of uh, dial into it yourself, because um, I know some YouTube stars, and they've, they've done some stuff about this. Now, uh, so physically what happens when you fast, uh, in a nutshell is this. You, your body stops producing insulin, 
after you eat, about three hours after you eat, your body stops with the insulin and calms down. Because if you keep producing insulin, you will just gain weight. It'll, it'll transfer food. Eventually, you'll use it, and it'll put it into fat. Fat on your body is just uh, energy storage batteries, basically. It's like a storage container. for If you need energy later, we got some in the form of fat over here. The only way you will burn fat off of your body is to stop eating for a long time. When you do that, over right around the 14-hour mark or something like that, I have to go back and look at the exact chart, but... Uh, your body will go, oh, we need energy, and you're not going to feed me again. I will go get it from your fat, and that's the way that works. Um, it's obviously more complicated than that, but that's it in a nutshell, and it has been super interesting to me to learn. So I, I, I actually lost, like, when I started in July, I lost 25 pounds over the course of about three-plus months of, of doing this a little bit each week. And so um, there are physical benefits to it. There's also something called autophagy, which is something they're learning about where it's sort of like a cellular regeneration kind of thing that happens. And I've actually seen some benefits of that as well. So there's, there's good stuff there. And I think God knew what he was doing when, and, and, and Christians and Jews and Muslims and people throughout the history of history, that they know there's something to put the fork down for a while and see what happens to the body. There's a lot of good things that can come out of this. A lot of physical benefits in addition to spiritual. So, so the challenge there is, as, a, as a way of disengaging is to pick up fasting. These are rhythms of the spiritual life. Uh, time, um, uh, they, and they, and they, they, they grow you in, in, in different ways. When we regularly disengage and take a rest from things, good things start to happen. When we uh, rest from work and we take a Sabbath, it re- re- refreshes us. When we, when we uh, disengage from, uh, give, so Sabbath is a way of disengaging from work. Uh, giving is a way of, giving money is a way of disengaging from consumerism. Um, prayer is a way of disengaging from all the noise. And fasting is a way of disengaging from all like overconsumption in the body. And so those are powerful things. And so let me challenge you to pick those up. This is why we're doing Lenten Pathways right now, leading up to the season of Lent. If you, if you haven't uh, jumped on with that, there are a couple different pathways that we do about disengaging from digital things, disengaging from food. You can, you can get on uh, our website and look at that and, and be part of that. There's a group of people now that at the church we're practicing this because we want to disengage because we realize the, the rhythms have for millennia been valuable and they're still valuable to us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, the ebb and flow, the, 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 the process of work and rest, the engagement and disengagement. And God, um, when you hear about disengagement, this all sounds like, yeah, I probably should do that. But then we just go and get busy again and don't structure it and don't plan for it. So God, I pray that um, everyone in this room walks out of here with the conviction and with the beginnings of a plan of this is when I'm going to disengage and this is how I'm going to do it. So that, um, not so that we can become like monks or totally disconnected from the world around us, but so that we can engage the world in a healthy way and and bring something of value to those around us that that we love. Thank you, Lord, for all this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.